That's a classic humorous way of looking at the story of Noah and the Ark. How many of you heard that before? How many of you were alive when that album was recorded? Now you don't have to raise your hands. I wasn't. Um, right. This morning, we're going to continue our sermon series that's going to last throughout the rest of the summer called Stories We Know. Uh, we are examining the great stories of the Old Testament this summer. And this morning, we're going to look at the man who built the ark and survived the flood, Noah. A little child was asked who Noah's wife was, and the child said, Joan of Ark. Well, it's uh, probably better than Joan Van Ark, uh, but it's just not true in either case. The Bible doesn't tell us who Noah's wife was, but we know that she shared this adventure with him. So let's look at the story from the Bible, and then we're going to see how it applies to us today. The Bible tells us in Genesis 6 that the number of men began to increase upon the earth. Not only had man increased in number, but he had also increased in wickedness. Humankind was evil, just bad. The Bible says that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Let me say that one more time. Every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. You think that humans are bad now? Try living in Noah's day. God said that every thought that humanity had at that time was only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. You know, we watch the news here in America, and uh, we think about, you know, how bad things are right now. There's gay marriage, uh, abortion, murder, you know, all the stuff going on. We hear about persecution against Christians by Muslims in the Middle East, or we hear of suicide bombers in Israel, and we think that the world is falling apart. Genesis tells us, though, that believe it or not, there was a time when things were worse. Things got so bad in Noah's day that God said that he was sorry. He said that he was sorry that he had created human beings. So God decided that he was going to wipe humanity from the face of the earth. But there was one guy. There was this one guy, uh, a guy who, named Noah who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. In other words, Noah chose to do the right thing more often than not. He was not perfect, where there was only one perfect man who ever lived, and his name is Jesus Christ. But compared with the people who surrounded him, Noah was blameless. The Bible says that he walked with God. He had a relationship with God. God revealed to Noah that one day his plan to destroy the earth and start all over again. And God commanded Noah to build an ark. He was to build it according to the specifications that God gave him. King James Version tells us that it was to be 300 cubits long by 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Right. What's a cubit? New, the New International Version translates cubits into feet. It, has to be, it was to be about 450 feet long. That's one and a half football fields. Now think about a football field. All right, We're talking about one and a half football fields. That is a... That's a big boat. Uh, for one guy to build, that's a large boat. It was to be about 75 feet wide and about 45 feet high. You know, think about it. That's a lot of work for a team of men. But one man by himself, Noah did just what God commanded him to, and he built an ark. Then God told Noah to gather all the animals of the earth and put them in the ark. You know, we've always been told, uh, how, many, how many animals was Noah supposed to get? He was supposed to get them, what, two by two, right? Get two animals of every kind and put them in the ark. Well, the Bible actually says in Genesis 7 that God told Noah to gather seven of every kind of clean animal and two of every unclean kind of animal. 
Noah would need the clean animals for sacrifices after the flood subsided. Now, a clean animal was an, an, an animal that God had said uh, was uh, acceptable to him for a sacrifice. And he was also supposed to take with him seven of every kind of bird so that they would be able to repopulate their species. God told Noah that he was going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, could you imagine nonstop rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Nonstop rain for 40 days. That's what? That's nearly six weeks of nonstop rain. Six weeks of rain. I mean, it gets bad here in the wintertime when we get six weeks, you know, of snow and it snows every day. But, you know, it doesn't snow constantly. Could you imagine rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Now, last summer we had some torrential rains here in Griffith. I mean, it rained pretty good last summer. Um, but, and we haven't had rain like that yet this year. But there are some areas in the, middle, in the Midwest that have had a lot of rain this year. And we've seen the pictures of the flooding on television. You know, it'll rain for two, three days, and then everything gets flooded right out. Uh, but, you know, in our story, God told Noah that he was going to send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that would have to flood the earth. I mean, that's a lot of rain. God also caused the springs of the earth to overflow and to flood the earth as well. Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, huh, my three sons, that's a good idea for a television show, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives all got into the boat, and the Lord sealed them in, and it began to rain, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained some more. It rained so much that the earth flooded, and every living thing on the earth that wasn't in the ark died. For 150 days, the earth was flooded, and then the waters began to subside, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. After three months, the tops of the mountains began to be visible. Forty days later, Noah released a raven to fly out of the ark, and it flew around until it could land on the ground. Then he set out a dove, and the dove returned, for there was nowhere for the dove to rest. After seven days, Noah sent the dove out again, and this time it returned with a freshly plucked olive leaf in its beak. Noah waited another seven days and then sent the dove out one more time, and the dove did not return to him. Once the earth dried up completely, God commanded Noah to come out of the ark and to release the animals back into the earth. Noah built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed some of those clean animals that he brought with him on the ark. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number on the earth. Then God made a covenant with Noah and sealed that covenant with a rainbow. God promised to never destroy the earth by flood again. And he promised that he has kept to this very day. Now there are three tooths, three tooths. Um, that would be teeth. There are three truths about obedience that we can discover from Noah's life. The first truth is that Noah obeyed God in spite of his surroundings. Genesis 6, 5 through 7 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Then verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was completely surrounded by evil and wickedness. You know, I look at our world today, and I see that we are surrounded, completely surrounded by evil and wickedness. It's all over. It's everywhere around us. But God hasn't destroyed the planet. He hasn't, you know, and I wonder why. Why? Why has God put up with all of the evil of mankind today? You know, could things have been that much worse in Noah's day? Could things have been that much worse? It's quite possible. But the key truth 
is that Noah didn't give in to the temptation and join in the wickedness around him. Noah didn't give in. He didn't participate in the wickedness that was all, all around him. Noah obeyed God and lived a life of righteousness. And what we need to learn is that just because everybody else might be doing wickedness and evil, we don't have to. You know, we, we tend to think of, you know, these guys down front here as the ones who go through peer pressure. We think of them as the ones who are being pressured by their friends to do all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing, right? You guys, you understand, you feel peer pressure, you know, try drugs, try alcohol, uh, premarital sex, all that kind of stuff. You know, we think of them as having peer pressure. We all are pressured uh, to, um, to do wickedness and evil, and we don't have to. We need to obey God and live lives of righteousness just as Noah did. I was reading an article on MSNBC's website a few years ago about high school teens taking same-sex dates to the prom. 17 and 18-year-olds who are openly gay taking same-sex dates to the prom. There was no sense of outrage, not by the, the journalists reporting the story or by school administrators. In fact, in one instrument, instance, a school administrator was vilified uh, for asking one of the couples to leave. And he was, he was made out to be the bad guy. I read another article by Chuck Colson saying that Canada had passed a law allowing homosexual marriages. He said at that time that it won't be long before homosexuals will be allowed to marry in the United States. In fact, he said for the first time in history, more Americans believe that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle than not. 54%, this is a couple years ago, 54% of Americans believe that homosexuality is an acceptable alternative lifestyle. 62% of Americans uh, believe that homosexuals should be allowed to marry. And sure enough, what happened in California earlier this summer, they have sanctioned gay marriage. That is just one example of the wickedness and evil that is pervading our country today. Now, please understand what I'm saying, though. There is a difference between the sins of our day and the sinners of our day. We are called to love sinners, and we are called to hate sin. The sin in ourselves and the sin that we see in our society, whether the sin is homosexuality, abortion, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, or pride, no matter what the sin is, we are called to hate it, but we are called to love sinners. We are surrounded by sin, and as public opinion moves towards wickedness and evil, it becomes easier to turn our backs on the truth of Scripture and follow the crowd. Like I said, more Americans now believe that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle than not. 62% of Americans believe that homosexuals should be allowed to marry. It's, easy to give, it's a lot easier to give in to public opinion than it is to stand up for the truth of Scripture. We need to be like Noah and to obey God no matter what everyone else around us is doing. We need to live lives of righteousness and go against the crowd. And you want, you want to know why? Because the crowd is on its way to hell. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We have to be like Noah and obey God no matter what is going on around us. The second truth that we can learn from Noah's life is that Noah obeyed God completely. He did exactly what God told him to do. Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Genesis 7.5 says, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. With apologies to Mr. Cosby, Noah never said, Right. When God told Noah to build an ark, Noah built an ark. When God told Noah to gather all the animals, Noah gathered all the animals. When God told him to get into the ark, Noah and his family got in the ark. Noah obeyed God without question. Noah obeyed God without hesitation. He never questioned God's commands. He simply obeyed them. 
His obedience reminds me of Christ's obedience to the will of God. Isaiah tells us that it was the Father's will that the Messiah be put to death as the final and ultimate sacrifice for the sins of humanity. Isaiah said that just as a sheep is silent before her shears, so would the Messiah be silent as he was led to the place of his death. Jesus didn't complain. He didn't question God. He didn't question God's will. He prayed that if it was possible for forgiveness to come in any other way, then let God's will be done. But it was the will of God that Jesus would be crucified and executed for the sins of the world. He took your sins. He took my sins. He took them upon himself there on the cross of Calvary. And he, and he, and he paid the price for our sins. He died for you and he died for me. He died for us. Why? Because he loves us so very much. Because of this incredible love that God has for us, because of this incredible love that Jesus has for us, he was willing to go to the cross, he was willing to suffer, and he was willing to die. And God raised him from the dead on the third day, so that just as he has been raised, one day we who believe in him and accept his offer of salvation will be raised from the dead as well. We will be raised uh, to eternal life, and we will live forever and ever and ever with God in heaven. We will live forever because of what Jesus did for us. We are all sinners, and God requires blood to atone for our sins. Check out this verse from Leviticus 17:11. God said, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Animals were unable to atone for the sins of everyone. Only a human being could truly atone for the sins of humanity. That human being was Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God. And he went willingly to the cross, and he obeyed the will of God, and he chose to die for your sins, and he chose to die for my sins. It was a choice. It wasn't like, you know, oh, oh, all right, I guess I will. And it wasn't God sitting there putting his hand on Jesus, pushing him up to the cross. Jesus said, I'm willing to go. I will obey you, Father. I will go to the cross, and I will die for the people that you have created, for the people that we love. You know, we celebrate that gift every Sunday when we uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, which we did just a few minutes ago. Just as Noah and Jesus obeyed God completely, so should we. You know, we need to read our Bibles. That's one of the things we really need to do is we need to read our Bibles to discover what God's Word says uh, about uh, what God expects of His children. And, and then we've got to do what He says. It's no good to just read the Bible and think, oh, that's nice. That's a good lesson. Oh, I, you know, somebody could really use that. Somebody should really put that into practice. You know, maybe Tony needs to hear this. I'm going to call Tony up right now and tell him, Tony, you need to hear this verse. No, the Bible's for me too. I got to read it. I got to put it into practice. We must read uh, what God says. We must learn what God says. We must do what God says and obey completely just like Noah. The third truth that we can learn from Noah is that he obeyed God and he lived. By obeying God and doing exactly what God said to do, Noah lived. Genesis 8 and 9 tells how Noah emerged from the ark after the flood. And God made a covenant with Noah in chapter 9 and promised to never destroy the earth again by a flood. He sealed that promise with a rainbow. And every time you see a rainbow, I love rainbows. I, I love, you know, I, when, if, have you ever, do you do what I do? You step outside and it's kind of raining a little bit, but you see the sun shining. What do you do? Start looking around, going, where's the rainbow? There's got to be a rainbow around here somewhere. You know, and scientists explain, oh, it's the prism effect. It's the sunlight shining through the raindrops and everything. You know what? I, that, it's God. It's God promising me. It's God reminding me that he keeps his promises. He promised, I'll never destroy the earth by flood again. And sure enough, every time I see a rainbow, I'm reminded, God keeps his promises. 
Not just the promise about the flood. He keeps all his promises. Promises to provide. Promises to take care of me. Promises to be with me. Promises uh, to love me. And most of all, his promise to take me home. That when I pass from this earth, he is going to take me to a place that is beyond my imagination. He is going to take me home. To my true home. Where I really belong. That is the promise that I see in a rainbow. Noah obeyed God in spite of his surroundings and the surrounding culture that did whatever pleased them. Noah obeyed God completely and obeyed him to the very letter of God's command. And because Noah obeyed, he lived through the flood and he survived to see dry ground again. Genesis 7.24 says that the waters covered the earth for 150 days. Then God remembered Noah and his family and all the animals. To remember in the Bible does not merely mean to recall something in your mind. It means to express for concern for something or someone. God didn't forget about Noah in the ark. God wasn't up there playing some kind of cosmic video game, going, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah playing Pac-Man or something. And then it's like, oh, Noah's down there. That's not, that's not what the Bible is saying. He was expressing concern for Noah and his family and the animals. And then the earth began to dry up, and eventually Noah and his family stepped out of the ark on dry ground. And because of his obedience, Noah lived. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God calls his people over and over and over to obedience. He promises them if they obey all his commands, specifically the Ten Commandments, that they would live long in the promised land and things would go well with them. I believe that that same promise applies to you and me today. If we will obey God and if we will do what he requires, then things will go well with us. We will enjoy a long, prosperous life that is blessed by God. That is, if we will completely obey God. If we will obey like Noah, we will live. And we will not live just here on earth, but we will live in the promised land of heaven as well. Martin Baker of Stockton, California tells this story. It says, during the Vietnam War, my uncle, Captain Ray Baker, flew for the Strategic Air Command. The Air Force trained him, along with all the other pilots, to run out of their barracks to their planes at the sound of a buzzer. He couldn't begin to remember how many times he had dropped his utensils during dinner and bolted to his bomber. He then came home on a furlough in California. When he arrived, we took him to his favorite Mexican restaurant. Everything was going great until Captain Baker jumped up without warning and ran out of the building into the parking lot. Catching up with him, when he finally stopped running, I asked him in total puzzlement, where were you going? I was looking for my plane, was his bewildered reply as he searched the horizon for his B-52. But what prompted you to run out here? I heard the buzzer, he said. Then I realized that directly above our table was a buzzer that the kitchen used to call waiters to pick up their meals. Could you imagine that, sitting there in the restaurant, all of a sudden some dude just starts taking off, running out, because the buzzer went off? You know, our obedience to Jesus Christ should be the same as that pilot's obedience to his superiors. He did not question the buzzer. He heard the buzzer, and he ran. When God says to do something, we do not question him. We do not say, you know what, I don't feel like it today. We do what he says. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Later in John 14, 23 and 24, he said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and, he will, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Jesus has called his followers to total and complete obedience. That is what he expects of us. That is what he wants from us. And, and, that's how we show that we love him. That is how we demonstrate our love for him. You know, it's easy. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I love God. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I, you know, they're, I'm cool. They're, they're cool with me. I, I love God. 
And then we deny it by our lifestyle. We deny it because we don't obey. We deny it because we don't do what God has called us to do. We don't, we don't love our neighbor. Uh, we don't uh, love our wives. Uh, we don't love our husbands. Uh, we don't uh, love our children. Um, we, we, we gossip about one another. We uh, are filled with pride and arrogance. Um, there's a, a, a thousand ways that we don't obey God, and, and he's called us to obey him. And, and, and what I was talking to the kids about earlier, to me, is one of the most important ways to obey God. One of the most important commands that Jesus gave us is to love each other. And when we don't love each other, we are breaking God's command. We are breaking Christ's command. You know, we talk about our, we do our mission statement every Sunday morning. You know, we, we read through the mission statement. The purpose of the First Christian Church is to? You know where that came from? It came right from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus said uh, that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. That's why we love God and love others. And then we spread the gospel. It comes from the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said uh, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what it's all about. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not loving God, loving others, and spreading the gospel, then we're not obeying Jesus. Because that's what Jesus said to do. He gave us a commandment. He gave us a commission. If we're not obeying Jesus, if we're not doing those things, then we are not obeying Jesus. And that's what it's all about is obedience. We've got to be like Noah. Noah obeyed God completely. Noah obeyed God in spite of his surroundings. If we love God, we will do what he says. So let us walk the narrow path and follow Noah's example. Let us follow our Savior's example of obedience to God. Let us do what God has said. Like I said, it's real easy to say, I love God. It's a harder thing to obey God and to do what God has called us to do. It is a harder thing to actually go out there and say, today I'm going to put aside what I want to do. I'm going to put aside my desires. I'm going to put aside my will, and I'm going to obey God. I'm going to obey God. That's hard. The temptation is to not obey God. But that's what he's called us to do. Let's be like Noah. Obey God in spite of our surroundings. Obey God completely. And when we obey God, we will live. Heavenly Father, thank you for Noah's story, for another great story from the Old Testament about how one man stood up and did what was right, how one man obeyed you completely. For his example, we give you thanks. And I pray that you would help each of us this week to do a better job of obeying you. Whatever struggles we may have with sin, whatever struggles we may have with obedience, may you give us the strength and the courage to overcome them. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to be like Noah and obey. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.